You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. was a week after Resurrection Day. Now you see why I felt to speak this. And what an emotional roller coaster ride the disciples had been on. Just to give a little background on what I'm talking about, two weeks prior to this, they were wildly cheering Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. I spoke about this a little bit down in Sunday school last week. And for the people in Jerusalem, they realized this was a prophecy coming true right before their very eyes. Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, he wrote in chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. They were celebrating what they thought was Christ's coronation as king. And many thought that Jesus was setting himself up as the conquering king. At least that was what they had hoped for. The people were paving his way with palm branches and their coats as they made a royal road for the king. They were taken off. They were taken off their jackets, their coats, as he went by and laying them down in the road in front of him. I can just imagine the sight, if you'll picture it with me here tonight, of what would take place as Jesus rode into town. Josephus, a historian of the day, he wrote in his letter that there was at this time as many as three million people in the city of Jerusalem that day gathered together for what was their Passover feast. People everywhere standing shoulder to shoulder trying to catch a glimpse of royalty. People shouting, Jesus is coming! Jesus is coming! Excitement filled the air. There was something undeniably special about Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Verse 10, it says the whole city was stirred. I was telling them downstairs about this. This word stirred, it actually means earthquake. Earthquake. Can you imagine? Five years ago in Peru, there's a soccer match happening. And Peru is there, of course, cheering on their team. And as they win the first goal, hit it into the net, the crowd cheers so loud that everybody's alerts go off on their phone. Their earthquake alert saying that there's an earthquake happening in their area. They shouted so loud that the earthquake monitors in the ground picked up the response from the crowd. Can you imagine? That's what the... Bible is relating in Scripture to us today. They were so excited that Jesus was coming. The whole city was stirred like an earthquake. That's the type of excitement that was happening when the Lord came into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey that day. And John, he writes in his gospel that the religious leaders were saying to each other, look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Everyone was shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Do you know what that word Hosanna means? That word Hosanna means save us. They were crying out, save us, son of David. 
You're the king that we believe you to be. Save us. Save us, son of David. This crowd of people are crying for Jesus to save them. And lo and behold, that is exactly why he came. In fact, that's what the angel told his parents when he was to be born. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I imagine as the disciples followed Christ to the place that they would have supper that night, they were at an all-time high. Oh, man, we get to be followers. We get to rub shoulders with the king. I can imagine the excitement that they would have had going into that upper room and partaking in what we would now know as the Last Supper. Oh, God, after three years of following you around, we are finally seeing you set up your kingdom. It's time. What now, Lord? What's the next step? What now? The celebration, although took on a somber tone that evening as they sat down to eat, it came to be known as the Last Supper, and the one who sat on the back of a donkey as people shouted with an erupting praise, save us. He was now kneeling in front of his disciples, washing their feet. How could it be? The Messiah, the Savior of the world, was humbly scrubbing dirt off of his disciples' feet. They all sat at the table bewildered by what just happened. And then, did that just happen? Did you see that? Jesus, he took the bread and he said, this is my body. He took the wine and said, this is my blood. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. What a strange thing to say. He was right there with them. And then he said something that must have really caused them to wonder. What was going on? He told them that his betrayer, somebody sitting at this table, is going to betray me. They were all of his followers. He had taught them for three years, and one of them was going to betray him. Can you imagine their bewilderment, their doubt, their guilt? They all began to ask, is it me? Is it me? Am I the one? Am I the betrayer? I mean, I'll take myself out. <laughs> They knew that all of us have the seed of betrayal within us. We all have the capability of sin buried within our heart. We are all capable of rebellion, deceit, betrayal. Horrified, they began to anxiously wonder if it was them that would be the weakest link. Here we are, Lord. You are finally setting up your rule and reign over the earth, and one of us is going to try and stop you. Surprisingly, it was the one with the most power that would betray and desert Jesus, the one who took care of the group's finances. He would be the one who would betray the Lord before the end of the week. Before the end of the week, all of them would be scattered like frightened birds. You ever watch that happen? You step in front of, I, I've got a bird feeder just beside my window, and I, I cautiously try to step close to the window so I can catch a glimpse of the birds. But if you go up there too fast, they all scatter everywhere. First, there was the kingly parade of Palm Sunday filled with excitement. Everybody was excited about it. And with the expression of servanthood of the Last Supper, it brought in this fearful fear of failure. 
all this mixed together into something that the disciples, they couldn't compute. It didn't make any sense to them. Before the week was out, Jesus had led them to the Garden of Gethsemane. He had told them to pray, and they couldn't even keep their eyes opened. And before we are too harsh on them, how many of you have had difficulty keeping your eyes open during prayer, during church? I don't need to see hands. (laughs) But Christ, he kept on coming back and finding them asleep, snoring. Wake up. We've got to pray. The hour's at hand. And meanwhile, their leader was in such turmoil over the weight of the task that was set before him that blood was coming out of his sweat glands. And while his disciples slept, a group of men came in to take the Lord away captive. And with their leader gone, they scattered. And over the next few hours, the Messiah would be spit on, beaten, whipped until his back looked like a freshly plowed field. He would be put on trial. And when they were unable to find any fault in him, he was still nailed to an old rugged cross. Before long, he would cry out, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Before long, he would cry out, It is finished. The sky would turn dark, an earthquake would shake the earth, the veil in the temple would be torn in two, and those that had been dead in the grave would rise again miraculously, and everyone present would realize what they had just done. We just killed the Savior. The very first Easter did not take place in a crowded worship space filled with singing and praising. On the very first Easter, the disciples, they locked themselves away in a house, and their Lord was in a tomb. No, they weren't in quarantine. Instead of sheltering in place, they were shaking in place. Okay, what now? Their leader was dead. I thought he was going to be the great king who would rule and reign over Jerusalem. What now? If their gloom was not enough, they had to question why they denied him. Because they were friends with Jesus, it was dangerous for them to go out. If, if they were willing to kill their leader, they're going to be after his followers next. They were filled with fear, but as two of his followers, Mary and Martha, are on their way to visit Christ's guarded tomb, they see the stone has been rolled away, and they encounter an angel of the Lord that announces to them, He is risen. He is risen. And those three words would change the course of humanity forever as we know it. They rush to where the disciples are hiding to tell them the news. And I can imagine how excited they were to hear that response and to see the empty tomb, hear the words, He is risen. And they they just wanted to share the good news with the disciples. And so they rush off to find them locked away in their house. And believe me, they wanted to believe. They wanted to believe the good news they heard from the woman from the women that morning that told them that the tomb was empty and Jesus was resurrected, but it seemed too good to be true. Could he really be alive? Did a miracle really happen? Did Christ really rise from the dead? Could this time of terror and fear really be coming to an end? 
and huddled in this house, the disciples dared to believe that hope was possible, that God's love and peace were more powerful than an epidemic of anxiety. Do you know what the most frequent exhortation in the Bible is? It might not be what you think. The most frequent exhortation in the Bible is some phrase like, do not be afraid. It appears in it appears in your Bible 365 times. Do not be afraid. You know what is so incredible about that is that it is usually followed by another phrase. Christ's words, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. You have cause to not be afraid here tonight. You have cause to not be afraid. Don't let anyone tell you that Christ isn't going to show up in the storm of your life. Don't let anyone tell you that he's still dead in that tomb. Because today, that tomb lies empty. He is risen. The empty grave. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The empty grave of the Messiah, it breathes life into each one that believes. Everything changed when Jesus rose from the dead. Listen to the conversation that he has with his disciples. This is Jesus, he comes to where they are. I'm going to go tell them that I'm alive. <laughs> he goes to where they are locked up in their house, and he walks through their locked door. And this is where we pick up the conversation in John chapter 20. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This was the first sign of their commission. They thought, okay, we studied for three years. We're ready for the test. Bring it on. We're ready for the exam. They weren't ready for the exam. <laughs> Jesus, he finds them anyways, and he tells them, I still got to use you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose. I am sending you. In other words, I have work for you to do. His peace is given so that we will engage in his purpose. He saves us in order to send us. He trusts us with this truth. How many are thankful for that? He trusts us with this precious truth. Thank you, Lord. The word sent in this context, it means to be dispatched, to be sent out. He was the dispatcher sending them. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus says, And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem. Here, this is just the starting point of this race. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. The disciples are given a message that cannot be kept in the locked room. This is a message that can't be locked up. It cannot be contained. And so the question has to be asked, what now? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? I'm available. What now? After defeat comes victory. After despair comes hope. No matter how dark and dreary the day. No matter how defeated and hopeless things seem to be, never, 
ever give up. It is the one who endures to the end that will be saved, Jesus said. So don't quit. We are men and women of faith. We endure. Friday, it crushed all their hopes and dreams. Their world came apart, and for over three years, they had left everything, everything, to follow the Lord. Imagine the joy of that first Easter when Jesus appeared among them. He talked with them. He ate with them. They even touched him. Sorrow turned to joy. Despair, it turned to delight. Hopelessness was filled with anticipation. What an emotional roller coaster ride. Lord, what are you doing? He came, he gave, he resurrected. What now? The Lord would walk with them and interact with them for 40 days, for over a month before he would ascend to heaven before their very eyes. They must have had a, a new hope, a new joy in their lives that they had never had before. Okay, the game is still on. We're still in this thing. The disciples were walking in obedience. Before their very eyes, he would ascend into heaven, but not without commissioning them with a message. And we pick that up in Acts chapter 1. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We jump down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The answer to the question of what now was what Christ was aiming towards the entire time. Go tell the world. But before you go, I have something to give you. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's going to give you power to become what I want you to be. It's going to give you power to be my church. There was a prophecy that they had held on to from generation to generation that was given to the prophet Joel. Acts chapter 2. Verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And so they enter into an upper room with this promise from the Messiah and this promise that had been passed down from generation to generation. It's going to come to pass just like Jesus said it was. And so they enter into this upper room and they pray day after day that God's spirit would be poured out just like he promised that it would. And then, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. People on the streets that day, they heard the commotion and they wondered, what in the world is going on? Isn't this the disciples that were just locked up not long ago, trying to keep themselves hid? Here they are. One of the disciples, he got up and announced, this is that. This is that, which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You remember that prophecy we were told by our fathers and our grandfathers you remember that prophecy that our grandmothers used to tell us about? This is that. 
the crowd asked, what do we have to do? What now? And Peter, he goes on to preach the very first salvation message. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Here's what's now. Here is what God has been up to. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If I could have the music come back at this time. And everybody said, Amen. <laughs> Amen. You guys are so obedient. Listen to you. Oh, makes my heart glad. <laughs> If it wasn't for Christ resurrecting and walking through their locked door, this gospel may still have been locked up. Peter may have never preached this salvation message. If it wasn't for Christ being alive forevermore, where would we be? If we could all stand. Out of love for us, God came to earth to become the sacrifice for our sins by dying on the cross in our place. His death was full payment for our sins. Christ, he walked out of his grave so he could walk into your life. The only way to be saved from your sins, come on somebody, the only way to be saved from your sins is through him. There is no other way. The only way for everything to change in your life is through Him. Instead of shaking in place, you can find shelter in God's grace. Instead of being overwhelmed with fear, we can be overwhelmed by His peace. He was known as God with us so that He could become God in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He didn't come to be paraded over he didn't establish a kingdom here on earth like anything anybody could have predicted. He didn't leave us hopeless and helpless. And so this still begs the question for the church of God today, what now? What a great question that is, what now? What now for the church? Well, I'll tell you, we parade the streets with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We take this message into every highway and every byway. We speak Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. To those that are crying out from the depths of their soul, save me. Oh. We share the message that he's given us. He can and he will. We pray that His will will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. We go where the Lord leads, but not without His Spirit guiding us through every conversation, every interaction, every day. To this lost and dying world, we as the body of Christ are empowered to be witnesses of what He has done in our life. To proclaim to the world, Jesus is coming. 
Jesus is coming. Look what he did in my life. He can do that in yours. Look where God has brought me. He can do that for you. So what now? What will you do? Ask yourself the question, what now? To the one who walked in here tonight feeling hopeless, he is hope. To the one who doesn't know if God is ever there, he is with you. To the one who is afraid to step out into what he is calling you to do, he is your refuge. He's hope to the hopeless. He is a father to the fatherless. He's the king of all kings. He's the one true God. And our response to him tonight needs to be that we are making ourselves available. As you come to God in prayer tonight, tell him exactly what you are feeling. Share with him all your concerns, your hang-ups, your desires, your failings. And then lay it all aside and let him tell you the answer to your question of what now. Let him complete that for you. Let him fill in the blank to your question of what now. God, you did so much for us. You created us, you formed us, and humanity failed. This isn't in my notes, and sometimes it's dangerous to get across. <laughs> Start talking inside of that. Lately, I've been uh, reading through the book of Judges leading into 1 Samuel, and it's kind of a depressing tone when you go from judge to judge to judge, and everybody, everybody's messing up. Nobody can do it right. They try, and some of them don't try as hard as they should. And through all of their despair, all of their failings, you turn over to 1 Samuel, and God speaks to somebody. But who does he speak to? There's a woman that comes to the church. She's travailing before God because she has no children. She says, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll dedicate him back to you for your service, for your kingdom. Do it. Do with him as you will. And so she leaves there with a message from God saying that this promise is going to come true just as you prayed. And so it happens. She has a child, names him Samuel, and we know the story. He she brings him back once he is weaned back into the temple to dedicate him back to God and a nation that had turned their, their lives towards God. They were no longer listening. They were no longer looking towards him. They weren't paying any attention to what God wanted with them. All of a sudden, God began speaking to this child, Samuel, Samuel, calling him out. And I feel here tonight that there is still that beckoning, that calling that's happening here today to a world that has turned themselves away from the one true king. There are people in this very room that are being called out. There are people that are feeling a response to minister in a way that scares you. But you know that that's what God is wanting you to do. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.